I don't know any other kind of career where you have to face your failures so much and your shortcomings and really own them and accept them because they're the things that are going to let you down and destroy what you're trying to do. And they're also the gaps that you need to plug with other people and the team that you have around you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Self Show. This week on the show, we have Hannah Phillips. She is the CEO and founder of Arc. Now, um, Arc's quite novel and quite new and it's super relevant. And I'm really excited to have Hannah on today because this is perfect timing for this kind of discussion. So we're going to get dig straight into it. Hannah, tell me about yourself, where you're from, and tell me about tell me about Arc. Thanks. It's great to be on the show. So Art Club is a neighborhood workspace. It is a place for people to work that's an alternative to home and an alternative to the office, kind of marrying the best of both worlds in local residential neighborhoods. The idea was conceived before coronavirus and before the pandemic. My co-founder, who's an architect, and I wanted to create productive but informal workspace that could fit around our lives. Work doesn't have to be the center of our lives, but we can still be productive and get loads of great work done and remain as ambitious while still balancing other priorities. So we came up with the concept and then established our pilot site. Coronavirus hit and has just accelerated all of the trends that we could see happening anyway, like the rise of remote working, the increase in people's demand for work-life balance and workspace well-being and so on. Wow, that's that's a lot to take in. So help me dig into that straight away. Explain to me the okay, explain to me like the basic differences between um you know, obviously I know what work from home is I know what working in the offices, but what's a neighborhood? How does that work? Yeah, of course. So I suppose um we don't define what neighborhood is. Like neighborhoods exist all across London. Right. So we're not coming in and saying we're creating neighborhood. What we're doing is identifying vacant space in dense residential areas um, where there maybe is a shortage of like useful amenities, where people would probably like for more to be happening locally and closer to home. And we turn those vacant spaces, many of which have been empty for prolonged periods of time, into something useful for the local residents. And the ethos of Art Club is that as many local residents are welcome in that space as possible. So we're not creating elite club environments or kind of um, exclusive um, member environments that are maybe focused on a single industry or a single ecosystem. Instead, what we're saying is here's a really beautiful, nice, welcoming, productive environment for as many people as possible to gain access to. So the majority of our members pay a membership fee that's very competitive, that can even complement you or like retaining an existing office. Um, But we also run other projects in the space, like a homework club that's free for young people aged 17 to 25, two evenings a week, and provide lower cost space to people on low incomes or those who are doing um, really great work in the local community. Amazing. And so how did you... So take a step back, like what were you doing before you came up with this idea and what problem did you see that inspired you to do it? Two questions there. Yeah, so I think the problem questions are uh, a relevant one right now because um, my co-founder Caro and I were 
approaching the same solution, but with different problems. So my experience of work had been 10 years in a corporate environment where I had an office, but it was an hour and a half's commute from my house and I lived alone. And I had the opportunity to work from home and was offered flexible working, but I rarely took it. And I would take that commute every day just to overcome the loneliness of working alone in my flat. And I just thought, how cool would it be if there was a more social environment near to my house that was as productive as my office, where that I could go to in, say, 15 minutes walk instead of an hour and a half commute each day spent on a smelly tube. Then I met Caro and her experience of work had been quite different. Um, she had run an architecture practice uh, for seven years, focused on hospitality and retail design. And she had a six month old baby. And at the time that I met her, she was in the process of leaving her, the father of her baby, who was also her professional partner. And she said, look, I'm not going to be able to return to an architect's practice because I just would not get the flexibility that I would need in order to raise my son as a, as a solo parent. So what she felt was that working from home was not a great solution with a toddler. So loneliness wasn't so much the issue. I mean, it was still part of the problem, but really for her, she was looking for somewhere very close to her son's nursery where she could go and do a couple of hours work a day. There wasn't a cafe. It needed to be a lot more productive and more dignified than that, than working from that. So the two of us set about thinking about how do we create a very accessible, um, but productive and efficient space where people can go and get a few hours work done as an alternative to working from home. Well, they could still go to an office a few days a week, but this would just be a way to manage remote and solo work. That's really interesting. Um, I can relate to that. I mean, I, yeah, I do have young kids and working from home is, I don't know how to describe it, fucking awful. Yep. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. It really so like, is. Yeah, so it is. Levels. Yeah. And you can't, it's weird that you're saying this because you have like, I'm, um, there's a, obviously right now, there's, so, there's a lot of pressure for people to create, you know, this, this amazing work from home experience. But for someone like me, who's an extrovert, like work from home, is, it sucks. Like I hate being in my own company. You know, I want to be in the office. I want to be around other people. And I feel like that's a, to some people, that's a negative. People are like, I don't do that. And um, because I'm um, a boarding school kid, I grew up around noise all the time. Like you was always people around everywhere. And so when you have something like a, um, when are you trying to work? Like you, the, I'll go to a coffee shop to work. I can't work at home in silence. And so the notion of having somewhere that I could go and work that I didn't have to buy a coffee every five minutes and feel guilty about that or, or like having too much coffee and feeling sick. It's great to have that, 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 that third option. Yeah. That's a really interesting time, especially now, like with the commute, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think the key is that people can walk into an art club and just get work done straight away without having to think about everything else. Because I think when you're at home, you kind of have to think about, I mean, there's lots of different distractions, you know, the washing, getting dinner ready, the place isn't tidy, you know, maybe you even want to watch TV or you're going to eat half your fridge because you're just procrastinating or, um, or you're struggling to find the motivation to actually get your work done. When you go to a cafe, like you said, you're thinking about, do I need to buy another coffee? Where is there a plug? Or am I going to really bother and piss off the barista? Or like, yeah. you know, things like that. Whereas that arc, the idea is that you just walk in with your laptop, you just get your work done. It's very easy. And I think you raised an interesting point about 
um, people wanting different things from their environment. So some people thriving in noise and things and others wanting quiet. So that's been one of the challenges that we've um, that we're, we're delivering solutions on whereby at each art club, there's a different kind, there are different kinds of environments that you can work in. So there's maybe a noisier kind of cafe environment that you can be in that still has as many plugs and the Wi-Fi is still great and everything and you don't need to buy a coffee or there's very quiet kind of more like library space or there's more collaborative kind of breakout environments that people can work in. So you can kind of pick the environment that's right for you. But the one difference between what we're doing and what the office is offering is if you think about the future of the office being a site for collaboration and somewhere that people will go when they need to meet their teammates and get work done, the majority of our work is done kind of independently, isn't it? Or maybe yeah. on calls, but it can be done just with a laptop and a phone. And that's what ARC is set up to do, is provide the kind of perfect environment for people to walk in and be able to kind of just get their sort of solo work done, get get work done really efficiently so then we can get back out in the sunshine or go and spend more time with our kids or you know pick up a new side hustle or do stuff that's more interesting so that work isn't kind of this all-consuming drag where we're we're forced into like a very fixed um and kind of soul-destroying sort of framework and culture that we can just set the parameters and the terms of our work ourselves yeah, I get that. I get that. So tell me a bit about your your founder journey. So you, like, this sounds like an expensive gig to get off the ground, right? You know, this sounds punchy. So I guess, like, what did you do first? What was the first thing you did when you came up with this idea? Did you go and speak to some people? Did you do some market testing? What did you do? Um, yes. Uh, that's That's a good question. I mean, one thing I would say is that it's not, kind of a linear process is it you know this as well so even if I had I think some people who've maybe worked in a startup or they're building their second business they're able to plan things in a more linear fashion whereas for me this is like the first my first business that I've set up so it was definitely about um finding people that had more experience than me and knowledge and awareness in different areas that I did and talking to them about what I was doing. So I met a woman who's remained kind of an advisor and mentor to me for the last two and a half years uh, quite quickly. And I kind of went specifically looking for her and she works in private equity and had a deep understanding of like consumer businesses and what the drivers are and how to get them off the ground and what some of the pitfalls are of setting up a business and things. So I spoke to her. Um, one thing I did probably for the first 12 months would just make absolutely loads of mistakes uh, and quite harrowing mistakes, which I think had two benefits. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't just leave that hanging in the air. That's unfair. Come on. What would, give, give, give me an example of a mistake. Well, I think at the time, I mean, that's what I was sort of going to go into. I think, I think I still make loads of mistakes, you know, every day, but I don't view them in the same way that I did in that first year. So now if, if I feel like we're going on in the wrong direction, I'm very quick to kind of change direction or rethink stuff or or not even see stuff in those terms of right and wrong, more like um, everything is sort of a learning process of like getting to actually how are we delivering best to what our customers need and want um, constantly. Whereas in that first 12 months, I think I found it quite difficult if I would make 
mistakes or be met with rejection or failure, I think I would take it a lot more personally. So I think the first 12 months of working on this was like a really big kind of personal growth journey, as well as a kind of process of building a business plan for, for art club. Um, yeah. I think one thing that, um, people do when they start a business, which I definitely did is you come with kind of your own assumptions about what people are looking for and you're kind of much more of a sort of supply led kind of, you have a much more of a supply led vision. Whereas I think what it took maybe 12 months to do was like really look at the industry, our audience, the market context, competitors, what have people done right? What have people done wrong? What do people actually want? Where is there a gap in the market? Where are the real challenges um, when it comes to work? How can we solve them in a way that keeps the product at a price that is really competitive and that is going to feel like very good value for our customers? So I think it was a shift in mindset from thinking, I want to create X to Y is what people are looking for. And that's what we need to deliver. Yeah, I love that. I think it's um, there's two things that I, 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 I yeah, the love that you're talking about them. When you first start a company, like I think there's, you have to have a lot of self-confidence to start a company. You can't, no one goes in there feeling, you know, if you don't have a bit of self-confidence, you're not going to do it. Okay. So people, you have to accept that there is, and there's an element of, you know, um, of arrogance there, which is that you believe that you can do something better than someone else. And I think it's healthy. You have to have that. But then of course you get in there and then all of a sudden it's a bit like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I don't know the answer to everything. Maybe I'm not as amazing as I think I was going to be. Um, and I think all of us go through that first year of like realizing that actually you don't know as much as you think you knew. Yeah. Um, you're not as amazing as you think you are. And so it's actually, it's the best. I think it's one of the best things for building self-awareness that you can ever do is that first year of being a founder. Um, right. Yeah. I think it's like... Um... You just, I, I don't know any other kind of career where you have to face your failures so much and your shortcomings and really own them and accept them because they're the things that are going to let you down and destroy what you're trying to do. And they're also the gaps that you need to plug with other people and the team that you have around you. So yeah, absolutely. It's like, there's a real kind of confidence dip or valley <laughs> that can be yeah. quite dark and you kind of have yeah. to pull yourself out of that and just think okay well that's okay and I think another thing probably most founders have in common is probably quite big egos and and so that can be a challenge to like yeah of course it is yeah yeah it is you know you've got to kill it you've got to kill it in your first year but keep the confidence uh speaking to my own journey it's not really about this but I think you know when I before I started stakes to like I was I was winning global pitch competitions I'd gone like 30 pitches in a row in my previous company and, and got sales through all of them. And then I start, but then I start pitching to investors and they're just like, no, this is awful. I'm not giving you any money. I hate you. And I was like, oh my God, my self-esteem is really being lowered here. And anyone who knows me is that that takes a lot to uh, lower my self-esteem. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it's a real, it's a real opener. I like the second thing you talk about as well, which is, I'm glad that you mentioned it because it's something that comes up all the time on the show and I can't, I wish it would come up every single episode. And that is the first thing that a founder does is the most important step they can go through. And 
it is the case of speaking to people, doing that research. Every minute you spend researching your customers is um, is going to make your business better. Every time you spend time speaking to them or looking at your competitors and see how they improve. But see, so many people don't do it. So many people forget about that stage. And so I, I love that you're professing that as well because that's exactly what I, I think the more people should do. And the more you know, VCs we come on the show and talk about what they think people should do first is always speak to your customers, speak to your customers. Max Kelly, who used to be the SVP of Techstars, says that's the one mistake everyone makes. They just don't spend enough time talking to customers. Um, and it is absolutely the right journey. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, so that was your first 12 months. So how long have you been in the, how long have you been in ARC now? So ARC opened in July, uh, last year, July 2020. Was that a good time or an awful time? Um, a, a good time. We viewed it wholly in positive terms, just insofar as like trying to establish a business in such challenging circumstances created a lot of discipline, uh, really boosted, I think, team morale because we had to really come together and work very collaboratively and collegiately and rethink everything improved everybody's sense of sort of agility and it like almost fast-tracked a lot of the things that might have taken longer to learn it was a bad time in that i mean you know we could have uh how was it a bad time i mean it was a bad time in that it was a really tough year for everybody but i think that for arc we felt like during a really really difficult year we were offering something that was quite positive for people who couldn't work at home or were finding things very, very challenging. We had a lot of parents that were using our space that were sharing their memberships, you know, with other people they live with or people that had flatmates. Um, it was a nice and safe, well, it was COVID secure, designed to be COVID secure. So it's um, it was kind of a safe community environment and social environment as well. Um, obviously in terms of, our revenue projections, they were all, they all had to be revised. Yeah, sure. According to like the restrictions. But um, I think we had a chance to prove ourselves as a team and the quality of the product, which only saw growing demand since yeah, we opened. Okay. So, um, Interestingly, so we, before, because when you were coming on the show, I was like, look, this is a subject that is quite divisive and a lot of people want to talk about, you know, how offices are going to change, what's the solution, how do we fix these problems? So we asked our audience uh, some questions, if they had any questions. So the Center for Cities has said that they think the four-day, no, sorry, the, the five-day week is just going to be back to normal almost straight away. Yeah. What are you seeing in with, with the clubs and in your own personal perspective? How do you think that's going to change? This is a good question, but I want to just clarify. Do you mean a five-day week is in five days spent at the office, or do you mean five-day week is in working, five-day working week versus... I think, okay, so I think five days in the office. Yeah, I think five yeah. days in the office. So we are not betting on the office closing. There's going to be lots of reasons why the office will remain open, and I think people, the majority of people can't wait to get back to a kind of more social environment at least part of the time. However, there are 
tangible trends and decisions that employers have made that point to a huge shift in the way that we're working. And they kind of uh, can be summarized in two sort of decisions that employers have made. The first is to reduce the size of their offices. And the majority of big employers in the UK, of the biggest employers, I think the 50 biggest employers have all made decisions to reduce the size of their offices, i.e. they are anticipating that not everybody will be in the office every single day. And instead, they're kind of operating more of a hot desking model and allowing remote working. And that feeds into the second one, which is the adoption of more flexible working policies. I think it will be very difficult for employers of any size now to demand five days in the office every week. One on kind of ethical terms, like people that require kind of more work-life balance. And I mean, some of the trends that Cara and I had seen occurring was that there was a rise in the number of parents freelancing because it was just virtually impossible to commit to the kind of expectations that um, corporate employers were expecting of them and still getting kids to nursery every day or school. And so people would be quitting their jobs and taking on freelancing. However, there is going to be, there could, well, there's an opportunity for improved retention of workforce, um, particularly among parents and those with caring responsibilities, if they're allowed to work flexibly and choose kind of more remote working. And there has been a rise in the number and the introduction of flexible working policies. And it's not just on ethical terms, it's also in terms of retaining and attracting talent. Like, you know, I think uh, people want to be back in the office, but, you know, uh, the kind of youngest end of the workforce have had a taste of like setting their own working week and choosing to work from home and mm. things like that. It's going to be really difficult to, I think, attract employees if you are demanding a very fixed working structure now. Um, and particularly when there are very big companies that are saying, okay, we're introducing permanent remote working policy, like you can work from wherever. Um, and so those two things just, I think, signal the fact that however long it's going to take, there is going to be a shift to a different way of working. Um, even if there's a bounce back to the office now, there are some permanent trends that are in evidence. Yeah, nice. <clears throat> that makes sense. I think, um, yeah, I, I think there's also, I think people are too loose with the term flexible i think if you create flexible working i don't think you should even tell people like the days they work like i think but like just say to people, work when what just here is an outcome i want you to achieve yeah and just go and do it like obviously there are times when you have to put calls in the calendar but if someone wants to start work at we've got i've got a couple of you know early risers here and a lot of people who sleep in late i'm a annoying five at 30 in the morning person yeah but then I clock off quite early, whereas other people like they get in at 10 and then some of them work weekends. Like, that's fine. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy. Like, I'm the, I shouldn't be I should be talking to you about what you're achieving, not about when you're working or where you're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, <laughs> the overwhelming, you know, evidence is that people are a lot more productive when they have the autonomy to set their own working schedule. Yeah. As long as there's exactly like you say, clarity and outcomes um, and some structured support, you know, sure. loneliness is a thing when we're remote working and stuff like that. Um, but Art Club can be part of that support suite, you know, for employers that want to provide um, 
a sort of improved well-being for their staff while remote working they can offer them up membership a lot Mate. cheaper than the uh, well i mean good plug there if anyone wants to know that like you could, which what's the website uh arc-club.com and arc okay. is spelled a-r-c what does arc stand for so it doesn't stand for it's not an acronym but arc uh, the idea behind an arc is that an arc stretches into the sky. The life doesn't happen in a straight line, but we can still aim high. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's good. I was trying to figure out if it was like a, in my life, arc means army recruitment center. I was thinking, she doesn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, that's not a moonlighting role. <laughs> we'll come up for time here. So I want to ask a couple of, uh, two more questions, which I always ask every, every founder. Um, the first one is, what's like your number one tip that you would give every founder that you've taken from your time, uh, Ark? What would you say to everyone? I think I really do believe that the only quality that any founder requires is resilience. And so I think if you determine at the outset your personal, and they have to be very personal motivations, it's not about you know meeting someone else's expectations or validating an idea that somebody else has like be really clear about what your personal motivations are and why you're doing this and absolutely crystal clear that you want you know what you achieve doesn't need to be fixed but you know is it like a financial outcome is it a social outcome is it proving something to yourself like what is it be really clear on that and then that will be your kind of guiding light in any dark sort of moment and you know you're therefore I've got to be ready to make a commitment to that almost above anything in your life. Yeah. And then I think that you can achieve it. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think that's a really great uh, sentiment there. Um, next one. Being a founder is the, so intense. You've got so much going on everywhere in so many different areas. You've got so many people you've got to deal with. You've got so many problems. And so productivity is always going to be king. Yeah. Um, I'm always fascinated to hear from founders how they what their productivity hacks are yeah so i've got a couple definitely over time my work the way i work has changed a lot um so one okay i'll tell you two very tangible things that i do one is that i have organized my inbox so i have to do folders i mean this sounds so basic but basically i have to do folders around four different themes um, and I also divide my week up into those four themes with a spare day. So when I get emails coming in, I pretty much always aim for inbox zero by the end of the week, but I file emails into those folders. So any day, um, and I won't spend like my whole day, like eight till 10 PM or whatever, just working on one subject, but I'll have a few hours of that day focused on one thing and I'll go through that inbox and do it. And that enables me to be very focused. So it might be like uh, looking at our kind of cash flow and accounting and reviewing that on one specific day. So anything relating to our finances, I'll file into that folder. And then it just enables my brain to be very focused on one subject rather than flitting around. I have my, I color code my calendar as well. And then I've divided the days into specific uh, things. And I try and leave like mornings generally free to kind of do emails admin things like that and then afternoons for engaging with people where my energy is a bit lower and I'm an extrovert like you so I get energy from other people 
I think one thing that's vastly improved my working experience is I've had a business coach for the last three months. Oh, wow. And he, Paul Peplow is his name, and I'd recommend him to anybody. And he specializes in um, coaching CEOs and exec teams, but he uh, worked for the first month in just increasing my self-awareness and really focused on what are the areas where I need to be particularly diligent or aware and at a very emotional level, like what are the, what are my drivers and therefore where am I going to be making maybe more illogical decisions? Um, and that's just been like the best thing ever. And it's completely transformed my working experience. And then the final one is actually, I think, and this is a debate that I have with some people. I think there's an expectation among founders that you need to be working like 150 hours a week. I don't even know if there are 150 hours in the week, but you know, you basically need to be like working totally around the clock. In reality, I think as long as you're aware that you're available around the clock to respond to stuff in kind of quite a calm way and that you're happy to sort of pick, take calls and emails and things like that, I think it's quite healthy to just think every week on focus on some really uh, specific outcomes that you want to achieve and not set too many goals every week. And I've found that therefore, and we try and set this as a team as well, like just some focus outcomes each week that everybody sets for themselves that they're trying to achieve. And then the rest of the time is left sort of free. So you don't ever feel like you're overwhelmed because I think the worst thing for making decisions and doing a, job well is that sense of overwhelm and then you just get very close to burnout and you lose your motivation and you're no good at talking to people and you kind of it's all a bit of a drag I think like the way to do a job well is to kind of enjoy it as much as possible which means just you know limiting the amount that you're trying to get done and I also think that like um or I've learned I don't think this definitely was not intuitive for me but if you set yourself too many goals, then you just won't achieve any of them anyway. And I think one problem when you start a business is that you try and put all your ideas into one thing. And then it becomes like this very messy thing. Whereas what we increasingly try and do at Arc is just hyper-focus everything. So it's like, right, how do we simplify everything and remain very, very focused? What's the easiest way to get something done? Ultimately, it's just what our customer needs and wants so always going back to that and just creating disciplines to like retain focus and simplicity i like it a lot see how we're trying try to think about things in order to maintain momentum really because it's like it's a long game isn't it see so it is well yeah it's, it's a long game made up of lots and lots of tiny short ones but yeah it is uh yeah it is yeah it's good last one if you could have a co-founder anyone in history with the exception of Diana Biggs, who would be your dream co-founder? I have to say my current co-founder. Don't say that. Don't say that. Rubbish. Awful. Get that excluded. Excluded. You can't have them. I'd really like to tell you why I would say her because I did think no about this and I thought that like, um, because we don't have a perfect relationship whatsoever. It is like a marriage and it is really tough and we do drive each other crazy and we do argue and we do upset each other and we do press one another's buttons. But I think that there is no such thing as a perfect co-founder. So when you say who would be your ideal co-founder, I think it's impossible to base that decision on like their credentials or their CV and stuff like that, because it is really all about chemistry and trust. 
so with Caro, it is like we are in a marriage. I, I would say it's more intense than a marriage. Um, wow. <laughs> a lot more mm-hmm. intense. And we have to be so honest and so compromising with one another all the time because it is so it is so intense building a business, isn't it? And there are like tears and highs and lows and disagreements and different ideas of, you know, what's going on. But I think that um, the reason that she would be my perfect co-founder is because, you know, we've spent, I guess, two years building this relationship and really building some solid foundations of understanding one another. And I don't think I could work with anybody that is so kind of understanding and compromising with me. And that I hope that that's reciprocated. So yeah, I'm sorry for giving you a really annoying, boring yeah. answer. I mean, look, it was a good, it was a good answer. You justified it well. Um, my uh, my co-founder is my best mate, and he would not be my chosen choice. It just you know, he just happened. Well, no, he's been yeah, we've just been tagging along to each other for the whole of our lives. It just felt like the right thing to do. I mean, I wouldn't actively choose him. I mean, Jesus, yeah. Oh my God, no. I mean, it's just through circumstance. Um, it is just a bit. So, but that that's quite fun. If it's your best mate, then you obviously have fun celebrating wins together. I think it's just like because we've been we've been friends for such a long time, it's incredibly natural. Yeah, you don't like you know, he can swear at me, I can swear at him, and it's fine. It's just like having a sibling, isn't it? It's like it doesn't matter what you say, like it'll be all right. Yeah. Look, this has been really good. I've loved this so much. I mean, it's really great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I can see that ARC is actually going to be a huge success and I'm probably going to see it all over the place. And um, uh, look, I wish you every success. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Not at all. It's really nice to meet you. Thank you for your time.